When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Canis Hoopers family. Today, I am here with Jack Borman, Canis Hoopers contributor, friend of the show. We're going to talk preseason because that is what we have just finished. Uh, Wolves went 3-1 and in the preseason. It was overall, I'd say, a pretty successful exhibition season uh to talk about whatever we don't really have an have an outline here we're just gonna go for it and talk about the things we liked, the things we didn't like and kind of branch off from there so jack how's it doing man i'm, I'm doing well um, it, it was nice to have to have uh timberwolves basketball back um a really quick turnaround from the link season um but man there's just nothing like overreacting to um all the positive things that happen in Timberwolves games in the preseason. It's, it's just incredible. Like I think back the last two seasons, I've been like, man, like shit, this is a pretty good team. And then it's just like, everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Um, and here we are again, you know, putting the clown paint on our faces and, uh, feeling the good vibes and, um, you know, and just gearing up for another, uh, you know, another soulless hobby that I, consumes 80 82 nights of our year and i can't i can't wait can't wait that was a very good way to put it because it is a soulless hobby um and i you mentioned this to me before we we started recording that it's hard to kind of decipher what's real and what's fake from the preseason and that's what i've kind of spent the all four games trying to to siphon through and 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 figure out what's just preseason weirdness and what actually drags over to the to the regular season is there i mean let's start with with some good stuff because that's you know we we all love the good things in the preseason is there what's something that stood out to you the most and and do you think it's real do you think it's fake like is there something that really stands out for you coming from that preseason yeah i'll i'll, I'll throw two things out one one is a team and one is a player so um you know as a player i think that the, the the one that's that stood out to me, obviously, the most um, is D'Angelo Russell. Um, you know, I think a lot of people would point to Anthony Edwards and his defense, um, and I think that that's going to be, you know, obviously really valuable. But um, but the way that D'Angelo Russell has been really engaged on the glass and really been wanting to grab rebounds, um, whether they're you know short or long, but grab live ball rebounds and just rock it up the floor because he's he's honestly one of the best. Uh, you know, playmakers in the NBA, most skilled passers in the NBA in, in, in the way that he's able to fit balls in tight spaces and, um, you know, and just see the entire floor really, really well and make quick decisions. Um, but then when you're in transition and you can kind of open things up, um, you know, we've really seen uh, the way that he's been able to pressure defenses, you know, he's able to score all three levels in transition. 
Um, but you know, now the Timberwolves have two really, really good transition uh, spot up shooters, and in Malik Beasley, who's one of the best in the entire NBA, and um, you know, and Torian Prince, who has proven to be really valuable. So the way that he, I think, has really controlled the tempo um, of those first three preseason games that he played in was something that stood out to me. Uh, looked really comfortable in, in screen and roll with Cat. Um, he also did a really good job of of really trying to get downhill. You know, I I, I noticed right away. I haven't looked at any of the numbers. Um, but it looked like he was more assertive to try and get to the rim and get to the foul line. Um, and when he's able to do that, um, I, I think that that's a sign that he's really healthy and he's confident in his game uh, and where he's at. And, and two, just knowing that, you know, when you've got two guys that, that have really legit scoring gravity in, in Cat and, and Anthony Edwards, who are most likely going to be, you know, focus 1A and focus 1B of defenses this year, um, I think him realizing that he's going to, you know, have good matchups and, and be able to, to get to his spots is great. So, so D'Lo has really stood out to, to me as a positive uh, in the preseason. Um, and then as a team, you know, kind of going off of that, I, I've noticed that the Timberwolves have, have really gotten out and run. Like just, you know, like somebody almost kind of like the running of the Bulls where, you know, there's just – you know, some are like, I, I don't know, like the fucking like, I don't know, the, the it clown just like showing up and just like <laughs> everybody taking off running towards the towards the basket. Um, but but yeah, I mean, we've really I, I mean, I first saw it. I remember asking Kat, um, we, I think the Timberwolves played the Pelicans in like the first season, the first weekend of May or something like that. And I remember asking Kat after the game. um if, if they were deliberately not like letting him get the rebound, but let him get the rebound so that he could really push the pace up himself um, or, or immediately get the ball to D'Lo so they could push the pace um, and really started to notice that at the end of last season. I think they're really carrying that over into this season that, you know, no matter who gets the ball off the, you know, off the rebound, whether especially if it's a guard, that those guys are just going to fly up the floor. Um, and I think it was... Was it the third preseason game? Who'd they play in the third preseason game? Uh, Clippers. Clippers, yeah. So it was in the Clippers game where, you know, I think I looked it up, um, you know, and in that first half, I think they had as many fast break points in that first half as they'd had in any first half last season. Um, and then in the last game, you know, they were just dominating in the points in the paint. And a lot of that has to do with just getting out and running. Um, and so... Yeah, just just being able to create uh, easy shots for yourself by getting out and running is going to be huge for the Timberwolves this year. And if it can kind of be organized chaos on the break, where you can kind of get teams to play at your pace as opposed to you, you know, being forced to play at another team's pace, I, I think that's a sign of a team that, um, that that's going to win some games. It's funny because we're usually on the same page, but this might be our our pinnacle of being on the same page because. I have about two notes written down and the first two were D'Angelo Russell and transition offense. And that like, that's the two things that have stood out to me as well. Like, and I think they intertwine together that, that D'Lo getting boards and and looking more spry and, and looking to get up the floor quickly and not kind of meander into possessions that take six, seven seconds before you even set that first pick and roll screen. Like that, all plays into that fast-paced offense. And I think that's where this team is at its best because they did... I don't think they're going to have many problems in the half-court offensively. Um, but 
they look the best when they can get out in transition. Delo can hit transition threes. He's obviously, as you said, a really good passer on the break. Cat can, we know Cat can either play the role as a guy who runs the break or who finishes the break. Anthony Edwards, like, you look at the stats, he he's top five in transition scoring in the preseason, points off turnovers, points in the paint, you know, for, for wings. It's... All that stuff, like Anthony Edwards has struggled with his with his jumper, I think, in general, and even probably struggled a little bit in the half court with his rim finishing. But if like if you t- if you play fast, Anthony Edwards is going to get eight to ten points in transition per night, and that's that is massive for this team. And that all stems from yeah, from D'Lo wanting to play quick. It stems from guys who get the rebound, making that quick hit-ahead pass straight away. Like, it, like if it's Torian Prince gets the rebound, he's going straight to half-court straight away. He's not kind of, you know, dribbling, taking a few quick dribbles and, and then slowing the play down so they can get into a half-court set. It's it's always been push, push, push. Um, and that's, yeah, I, I just think that's really important for this team because as much as they have offensive talents, they... Like you need easy buckets. That's a, that they're easy buckets. And Anthony Edwards like genuinely might be the best transition player in the league, or he's definitely in the top ten. And if you have that, you really have to like tap into that that well that you have. And then you have like you said, spot up shooters like Prince and Beasley. Cat's gonna do anything he wants. D'Lo can hit pull up threes and can hit spot up threes in transition. So that's definitely the one thing that stood out to me as well. H- how real it is, I'm. Not sure, only because preseason is just so... I think it's quicker in general. I think there's way more turnovers, and turnovers, obviously, like live ball turnovers, lead to fast breaks more often. Uh, teams are more sloppy just in the half-court playing, you know, pick-and-roll offense. You'll see you'll see Anthony Edwards and, and Josh Okoji and Pat Beverly get a lot of steals, I think, throughout the regular season as well. But I think it, it's amplified in the preseason when everyone's kind of going at 60%. So... I think they'll play fast. They played fast last season under both Saunders and Finch, but I think this is a different type of fast because if you can force live ball turnovers with this new scheme and, and really have a lot of guys who can get a, get deflections and, and get the ball out in transition, then, then those live ball turnovers lead to points as well, and that's where it's different to just running up the floor quickly and getting into a quick set. Yeah, and I think... Um, you know, I think that Rosas was so big on playing fast, but not necessarily playing, you know, quickly or like a controlled fast. I think it was just I think Rosas just wanted. Set. I and, think he wanted the pace rating to be high. Like, yeah. whereas I think I think Finch wants to play fast, but in a way that you play fast when you can get opportunities to play fast. Not all you don't have to play fast all the time, but when. When the opportunity is there off a long rebound, off a live ball turnover, that's when you can actually turn those that pace into profit. And that's something that I think we're going to see that's real in, in the sense that, you know, I, I think every single player on the Timberwolves roster, when there was a rebound that went up, you know, missing a shot and rebounding is basketball. You know, whether it's preseason, regular season, playoffs, it doesn't matter. You know, you know teams are generally going to be as aggressive on the offensive glass you know, in, in any of those settings as they normally would be. Um, and, and I think that if, especially if the Timberwolves aren't really playing with a true four, um, that D'Angelo, I mean, D'Angelo Russell is 6'5 or 6'6, um, you know, depending on, you know, what, how flubbed the numbers are. I don't know, but he looks pretty big. And, you know, he seems like a guy that, that you know, wants to actually rebound and grab the ball and, and run it up the floor so he can make plays and get other guys going. 
And when you got a point guard that's willing to do that, I think that that really helps. And, and it helps, too, that Cat is an awesome outlet passer. And when you can combine those things, I and it's, it's just going to be really profitable. And then, two of you factor in that D'Angelo Russell is one of the league's better pull-up jump shooters. And you've got a player that can you know, that can really be a weapon in the, in the transition game. And I think that trying to create more of those opportunities will be big. It, you don't have to wait for them to come. It doesn't have to be a live ball turnover and all of a sudden you've got a three-on-two or a two-on-one fast break. If, you know, and we saw it with the Timberwolves last year and two years ago where we're just yelling at our computers or our TV screens or at, at the court, on the, you know, in, in the arena, just wondering, just dumbfounded why these guys aren't running back on defense. And if you can catch other teams doing the same thing or tiring out other teams by just simply really pushing the pace whenever you possibly can uh, off a live ball rebound, I think that that's going to be really, really great for this team. Because even if you run it up there and then you realize, okay, no, we don't have anything. Let's just pull it back. That's still putting pressure on the defense and, and you know, could potentially cause, uh, you know, defenses to be in you know, incorrect matchups, kind of in a scramble um, and forced to play, you know, kind of a shell defense, uh, you know, or you have a mismatch right away because teams can't get set up the right way if you run up the floor quickly. And so, you know, even if you're not getting those transition points, I still think that there's, um, you know, other other positive things that can come about of, of pushing a rebound up the floor. And I think of anything that we've seen, I think that's going to be the most real thing. You know, Anthony, Anthony Edwards' defense, you know, could just be a, a nightly thing, you know, if he wants it, if he wants to play defense or, or he's playing well offensively, maybe it shows up and then maybe it wanes if he's having an off night. Um, but, but I feel most strongly in saying that the, the transition offense, uh, live ball rebounds and turnovers is, is going to stick around. There's, I don't think there's any more of like kind of obvious point of emphasis, like a way to see that that was a point of emphasis than like Nas Reed running fast breaks off rebounds. Like Vando, as soon as Vando got a rebound, he's off to the races, at least getting the ball over half court. And I think that's a great point that you made that like, if anything, you're just forcing cross matches, you're just prodding at the weak spots of the defense and seeing which one's going to, going to burst, you know? And maybe that means that you just pull it back and you run a set and nothing happens. But if five, 10 times a night, you get the ball over half court quickly and the other teams cross matched or you find a little weak spot in the defense defense like that's massive especially when you have three offensive talents like cat delo and russell because uh cat delo and ant sorry because those guys can punish mis- punish oof, punish mismatches that's a tongue twister um and, and they can do it consistently and especially ant if you can get guys on ant who can't guard him you make his life a lot easier. And I still think even with all the talent that he has and the excitement that we have for Anthony Edwards, that getting him, making his life easier should be the number one priority for the offense because Cat can do it without making his life easier. He's done it for seven years and nobody's ever made his life easier. D'Lo makes life hard on himself, you know, <laughs> just with his game style, with the shots that he takes. And he does it well. Like He, he makes tough shots whereas ant i think you need to run more plays for him that that get him moving in space or, or only having to take one or two dribbles before it gets to the rim i think you want to force mismatches onto him you want to force 
you know, power forwards to be gu- power forwards to be guarding him in in semi transition opportunities because he'll blow by him and get a bucket, or he'll pull it back out and he'll isolate on a guy who's six foot ten. That's that's profitable for the Wolves, and I think that that is the main thing I want to see out of the offense is really working to create advantages for Ant and not having to make him create advantages for himself as much as kind of a star level player would because I don't want to heap too much responsibility on him because he's still 20, he's in his second season. I know we all think he's going to be awesome and and I really do think he's going to be awesome, but he, we can't be like, all right, you're Donovan Mitchell now. Go out and do, go out and be Donovan Mitchell. You're, you know, you're Dwayne Wade now. Go out and be Dwayne Wade. Like you have to be like, you're Anthony Edwards, a second year player. Let us make life easier for you and, one of the best ways to do that is to run in transition and just to play fast in general. Not even transition, just to make, just to hurry up the defense. Um, and yeah, like that—that that is the main point I had as well, which is good that we were on the same page because I think that's just super important. Yeah, and I, and the one other thing that I want to I want to add to that is that you know with Ant, I think we've seen it a lot in the preseason that any time that he cuts super hard to the rim, oh, man, he's it, so it's hard to guard. two points. And yeah. in that if he can do that without, um, you know, without, you know, needing to score first or be in the game or kind of be in the rhythm, you know, and, and kind of make your first few shots to stay engaged, that's going to be huge because Finch is really, really good at running wedges to get cat isolated you know, post-ups where he's on an island and if they want to, if the defense wants to send another guy at him, you know, he's got time to see it coming and, and other guys have time to read and react off of that. And and he'll be able to hit guys. I mean, we've seen two from Cat. I mean, one of the other big takeaways I've, I've noticed is, you know, the passing angles that Cat is able to create off the drive and out of you know, post-ups in picking, or excuse me, out of post-ups and double teams in the post has been incredible. And, and we've seen Torian Prince make a couple of threes off of some really crazy, impressive cat pa- cat passes. And, th- and now that he's got guys around him that can shoot, uh, it's going to force defenses to be out more on the perimeter. And when that happens, you're, you know, the back cuts are going to open up, the, the cuts down the middle of the lane are going to open up. Or even if he does a lot of what Jaden McDaniel started to do at the end of last season where he's in that slot, uh, in the opposite slot, he can kind of cut right through the lane and, and collapse the back half of the defense so somebody can, you know, throw a skip pass over the top to whoever's in that opposite corner for three. We saw that a ton last year. And, and whether that's Ant or Jaden or J.O., or excuse me, Ant, yeah, Ant, Jaden or J.O. doing that this year, that's going to be something that's huge. And, and we've seen it from Ant a little bit in the preseason with the cutting. But, man, if that if that you know, goes up another, another level um, – I, he could average 25 points a game. And not even try. <laughs> not not try, but that's the thing is that, like, not all those things... Super hard tra- for the 25. Yeah, all those things, the transition, that there's 45 cuts that he makes from the slot, like, they're easy buckets and you don't have to worry about him shooting 37% from three. And if he comes in shooting 37% from three on seven attempts a game, he's going to average 27 a, a game. Like, that, but... You can't bank on that, I don't think. But what you can bank on is making good cuts and playing fast and just getting him easy looks without it having to be isolation basketball. Because there's been, I think, there's been a little bit too much of that in general in the in the preseason from a lot of players 
But I also think the offense has been... There's been... You know me, I'm always looking out for, for plays that Finch is running. And literally, he, there's about four or five plays that he's been running a game in preseason, which is... I don't know if that's because he wants to play more, read and react for the entire season, or if that's just because it's preseason and they're kind of going through the motions a little bit offensively, because normally Finch is running at least like 10 to 20 set plays a game. And it's been way lower than that. And I think that that was, I don't, I think it's a combination of preseason of them wanting to play a little bit more, more free flowing. And also that they've been working on defense for the entire training camp. And maybe that's just, that's the the focus of the game. The emphasis of the game is is doing what they need to do defensively, which would make perfect sense. Um, the three point shooting is one of the things that I had here as well that has been bad. And but I, but I think it's fake. It's it's you look, you look at the. It's actually wild. Like you look at the the shooting numbers. I think Minnesota is shooting thirty percent from three in the, in the preseason. preseason. Yeah, in the preseason, uh, that's their twenty seventh ranked three point you know field goal percentage of in the league. You look at last season, Boston shot twenty two point six percent from three in the preseason. They finished tenth uh, in in three point shooting in the regular season. Milwaukee shot twenty seven point nine percent, finished fifth. Philly thirty percent, finished eleventh. New York thirty point three percent, finished. Uh, third in percentage in the regular season, like this doesn't it doesn't matter. Historically, it doesn't matter what teams shoot in the preseason. Like Bradley Beal shot eight percent in the preseason last season, eight from three, <laughs> eight <laughs> like single digit eight. Uh, Jason Tatum shot you know twenty percent. Luca shot twenty eight percent. Like these, this is what happens in the preseason. I think that that is the a good encapsulation the three point numbers of why people say don't worry about the preseason because in a small, tiny little sample size coming off a three month break with guys who are really just there to get in shape, uh, three point shooting doesn't matter, but it is something that stood out to me when you, when you're talking about the preseason that, that Pat Bev couldn't hit him. Ant couldn't hit him. Cat couldn't hit him. It was virtually just D'Lo and Tori and Prince who shot well. So, and Josh and Cody, who I'm sure we will get to, but yeah, um, but even even despite that three point shooting, though, I mean, the Timberwolves took forty three percent of their shots were threes, which I think is a great number to be at. That's eleventh in the league in terms of the preseasons, and, and in terms of the you know percentage of two point looks being, you know, I don't I don't know, kind of in that fifty seven range. I mean, I think that that's a good that's a good split. And then you look at the you look at kind of the the percentage of where their points are coming from, almost 19% of their points in the preseason came on a fast break, which was second in the league by 0.2%. In terms of free throws, 15% came from free throws, which was 12th in the league. And they were number one. And they would be calling fouls in the preseason, man. Like, not like they do in the regular season. The The refs are just getting cardio in as well. Yeah, and then you look at points off turnovers, 26.5%. That's first in the league by 2%. And then points in the paint, they're second. They're almost 50% of their points in the preseason. That's the, the big paint. one. That's the big one. Because yeah. that's, my, that's one of my biggest worries with this team is that they don't have enough guys outside of Cat and Ant who can get into and finish in the paint regularly. And, and, and I, Oh, I was just going to say, and I think a big part of that is that you had a lot of active cutters. 
Mm-hmm. Jaden McDaniels cut a ton in the preseason, which was great. I thought Josh Okogie did a great job of picking his spots and when to cut and when not to cut. And then, too, you have D'Angelo Russell that's trying to get downhill, pull up in the mid-range from right in that, that lane area or get all the way to the rim. Uh, and then Pat Bev, too. We, we all know Pat Bev can take guys off the dribble and finish inside. You know, he's a really, really good finisher um, for, for someone his size. And then, and then you have Mr. Turnaround. Mr. Turnaround, step back. <laughs> Jalen Noel. How, how long? We got I mean, 23 just, minutes in before you, you brought up Jalen Noel. Surprised, I'm, I'm surprised proud. it was that long. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, I, I think that this team, I I agree with you that that, that was probably a concern coming into the season, but again, it's just another byproduct of, of really flying up the floor off, Mm -hmm. off a dead ball or excuse me, off a live ball rebounds. And it just puts pressure on teams and, and forces defenses to really have to communicate well. And I think that they'll have a great opportunity to do that, uh, in the first few games because Houston New Orleans, uh, Denver, all those teams are ginormous teams, um, you know, and, and and probably won't play as quickly as, as maybe they did last season. Uh, and then you have the Bucks as well, more of a more of a half court team. Uh, so it, it'll just be really interesting it, it, whether or not the Wolves can kind of dictate the pace uh, of games early on and if so how how long they can they can you know continue to do that into the into the regular season well that's how they have to that's how they have to play if they want to be the smallest team in the league like if you are going to give up that size every night you have to counteract that with speed and with with transition opportunities and with getting up the floor off those live ball rebounds and those live ball turnovers like if you can't you can't do that and you can't rebound and you can't play inside very often, especially defensively, you're going to lose a lot of games. So I think you, and that's why I was worried. Like I said, I'm, I don't think that the three point shooting will, will carry over. We've got massive sample sizes for all of these guys that they can shoot from three. And we've got a sample size of Chris Finch being able to draw up actions that get three point looks. Um, but that's why that has to be there in the regular season because you need to be able to play fast and you need need to be able to hit shots from deep because if you're not big enough and if you're going to lose the offensive, the second chance points battle every night, which they probably are, you need to win the three-point shooting battle most nights. Uh, you definitely need to win the fast break battle and you need to probably win the points in the paint battle You know that, that aren't coming off second chance points. So... That's that's really important to me is yeah shooting shooting and pace pace and space it's the kind of it's a fragile uh, you know a, a a stale old saying but it, I think it really is important with this team and then they have to do it defensively um, you know let's let's take a little break and then I'll we'll come back and I want to talk about some individuals that that I know caught both of our eye. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. 
Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, we are back. Um, Who do we want to start with first? Because I think there's been a lot of really good and encouraging performers individually um, throughout the preseason. I know we've already hit on, on D'Lo and Ant. Uh, let's go. Let's go, Josh Okogi. I know you're a Josh Okogi man. I have been very. I know he only played those first two games, but I've gone from worried about his spot in the rotation to thinking he probably should start on opening night, um, or at least him or Vando will start on any given night because man, he looks really good. And I don't, not talking about the three-point shot, I don't trust that. I, don't, I will not trust it until I see a big sample size. But defensively, the chaos meshing with control and and just becoming overwhelming. You put him next to Pat Beverly and it's like two fucking rabid dogs just nipping at your heels all game. Talk to me about Josh Cody and what you've seen in the preseason. Yeah, I mean, I think... The biggest thing that I saw from Josh is that, you know, when he was kind of that low man that needs to rotate on the backside of the defense, he was awesome. I think it was in, maybe it was in the Denver game. I can't remember. Um, where I think in the, oh, was it whatever game he started? What was the game that he started? The open the opener, uh, Pelicans. Okay, yeah. So in that game, I feel it was like a first two minutes, he had like a steal and first a block. possession. First possession, he stuffed Willie Hernan Gomez, or Billy Hernan Gomez at the rim. Yeah, like, I mean, summited that... Mount Hernan Gomez and destroyed <laughs> him. Yeah, just seeing plays like that is is awesome. You know, I, I don't want to bring back Ryan Saunders' effective height stat, but but Josh really does play a lot bigger than he is, and he can hold his own. If he sits his ass down in a stance, he's really hard to move. And that's it's kind of like James Harden, where James Harden is, you know, 6'4", 6'5". He's really strong, and when he gets down in a stance – you saw Giannis in the in the finals or in the Eastern Conference Finals. Giannis couldn't move him, and mm-hmm. I think Josh can kind of be the same way in that he he's can really leap high. He does a good job of being vertical, and he's just a playmaker on defense. And I think in that in that four spot in the backside, you kind of want that guy to be a playmaker, especially if Cat's going to be up at the level more, and, and the backside is going to be a little bit more exposed, cutting from the corners and. Um, and the other thing, too, with that is that you can put Josh at the point of attack and you could put Ant guarding the four. Um, you know, I, I don't feel as great about Ant on the backside. I feel a lot better about Josh or Jaden there. Uh, but but that's the nice thing about, you know, Ant's growth as a, as a defensive player or supposed growth. You know, what, what we've seen so far is kind of what we can work with. But if Ant's able to guard the ball and you can have Jaden McDaniels and Josh Okogie both playing off the ball, that's a really, really big development for this team because both of those guys are really, really good playmakers on the back end of the defense. Um, you know, when you look at block percentage, Jaden McDaniels is right up there, I think, in, in, in maybe the top three or four or five players that were not centers last year, uh, which is which is incredible for a rookie. And then with Josh, you know, I don't think Josh necessarily 
makes as many you know stat plays like a block or a steal but i think there's just a lot of possessions where you know you can think about them over the course of a night in any game where you know if you're taking notes on the game you could see a bunch of different notes just saying a kogi just completely trashed up this possession for the other team even if he doesn't have a steal or a block and and i think that that's something that that we've seen from josh uh, that that's been encouraging uh and then and then obviously with the three-point shooting, um, you know, he took he only played in, in two of the preseason games and, and was, I think, what was he, two for four? So not not a whole lot there. But um, but yeah, man, you know, I, I think the other advantage of Josh is that he doesn't have to play in the dunker spot. You know, he's got experience playing out to the corner, and that's something that the Jaden McDaniel, or excuse me, that Jared Vanderbilt doesn't have. Um, and I think that could be a, a big reason why you see Josh Okoge starting on opening night over Jared Vanderbilt because even though a lot of these lineups with Vanderbilt had a really high net rating, um, you know, I still think it's it's kind of easy to look at those lineups outside of the stats and say, you know, the spacing isn't isn't still isn't awesome when when you know Jared's out there, and I think the only time that Jared's really out on the perimeter is when he's handling the ball above the break in a handoff situation. And I just don't think defenses respect that enough to be up on him to a point where he could blow by somebody, if that makes sense. He kind of utilizes yeah, well, athleticism well, that way. What what Okoge does, even if he can't shoot, is if he can at least put the ball on the, on the deck when you kick it out to him. And he can make plays for others off the dribble. Uh, he's really good at those little dump-off passes and, and, and hitting cutters as well. And he can kind of get get baseline and kick the ball back out to, to a shooter in the slot or at the top of the key. Uh, and that's something that, that Vando can't do. Obviously, it's a little bit of push-pull with either one because Vando, you don't get more rebounding, which is important. You're going to get more, probably more rim protection just in terms of size and, and, and being able to deter people from, from getting into the paint as much as it is actually blocking a shot. He's probably just players are less likely to drive when Vando's out there just because he's six inches taller. Like, But yeah, Akoji gives you more offensively which is strange to say because he's never given much offensively but he at least gives you an option as a guy who can you know knock down one in every three of his three pointers but also take a guy off the dribble and punish a closeout um how hard are those closeouts going to come i'm not sure but they can they will come in in some form and he can at least do something with the ball I'm really excited. I know we're talking about individuals, but just on what you were saying, I'm really excited at the amount of players that they have who can both guard point of attack and be the low one of the two low men or the guy at the nail and the low man. Um, I'm rationally excited about this defensive scheme, man. I don't, uh, not to the point where I think they're going to be good defensively, but I just think their personnel actually really fits it. Like, if Anthony Edwards is anything you know, like he looks on ball, that's great. But you still have Jaden who can play on the ball. J.O. can play on the ball. Pat Beverly can definitely play on the ball. And then you have those three guys and Tori and Prince who can do both. Like all four, Okoge, McDaniels, Beverly and Prince can play on or on the ball or as one of those weak side helpers. And that means that at any time you probably have two of the the four main pick-and-roll defenders are going to be really good at their job. And that's not including whatever Cat does or whatever Anthony Edwards does. Like, 
That's be like that's manageable. I think that's really manageable. And there's going to be times where you have all four who are really good at it. And if you have Jaden and Pat Bev or Jaden and and Jo or Jaden and Torian Prince or any combination of those four as the two low men, man, like you you're gonna do well in the pick and roll. There's you're gonna have to force teams to beat you in other ways, and they probably will a lot of the time. Like they will beat you in transition. Minnesota's. Still not very good in, you know, still probably won't be very good in transition defense. But I just feel like the pick and roll defense can really be solid. And that kind of relates back to, to Joshua Curry because I think he's a really crucial piece in that. Um, is there anyone who you, who excited you individually? Yeah, I, I was just going to to jump in and say, you know, one or one other thing kind of going off of the defensive scheme is that you know, I, I I tweeted that it's a legitimate luxury that the Timberwolves can play three of Beverly, McDaniels, Vanderbilt, Akogi, and, and Ant. Right, I didn't even mention Vando in any of that. That's another guy who's in there as well. three legitimate playmakers on the defensive end without tanking your offense on, and on any given time. And question, it, question. Sorry to cut you off, but like, is, no. is there a chance that at any, you know, at, at 95% of the minutes in a game, Minnesota are going to have three or more plus defenders on the court at all times. Like, is that a possibility? Um, I don't think it'll be at all times because I think we'll see some more offensive lineups where you have the, you know, you have the Ant, uh, or excuse me, you have the D'Lo Ant, Beasley, you know, whoever, I get, yeah. and then Cat lineup. I guess that Cat um, and Ant would have to be plus defenders for that to be a thing. Yeah, and I think too, then if, I mean, if you have a lineup out there that's like Bev, Bees, you know Prince Vanderbilt and and Nas. I think it's kind of dicey, um, and I think we've seen a lot of really strong evidence uh, for, in favor of the argument that you should have one of the big three on the floor at all times. Um, you because have to. Uh, that that lineup that had Beverly and Beasley as the you know as the two guards just did not do well. In terms of being able to create offense and, and get into sets and, and run things the way that you want to run them, um, plus two, you just need to be able to put a bunch of pressure on the defense. Um, and even if it's just one guy that can do a, a majority of the heavy lifting there, um, you know, I think that that's, I think that that's going to be huge. Um, but yeah, I mean, one other player that that has really stood out to me is a guy who, you know, I think is is creating a lot more questions um, is Noel. Um, you know, obviously Beasley hasn't looked like he's in the best shape. I know that, that Finch mentioned at practice last week that that Beasley took some time off uh, towards the end of the summer, uh, and and honestly, I I can understand that. Um, you know, he spent a, a bulk of the off season in prison, uh, serving out his sentence from you know from the gun charge that he had last year, and you know, honestly, you know, I'm, I'm sure that he was you know. Prison yard Malik just, you know, getting workouts in like a madman because he just works his ass off. Um, and and I think it was Dane who said that, you know, obviously Malik's biggest, uh, you know, attribute that, that helped his game last year was how, how well he was in shape. And he was he was probably in, in the best shape of any Timberwolf last season. So I don't really doubt that he'll get into game shape. I don't think it's going to be a watch-out situation where you know, everybody just makes excuses for him left and right for you know the first 60 games of the year before people actually realize, hey, maybe this guy isn't an NBA-caliber player. Um, but you know, with these, 
you know, he played much better in that last preseason game, but I think the, with the way that Noel has been able to create at the end of these games, you know, albeit against second and third string guys, but he has the confidence and the tools to be able to be a really effective scorer in the NBA. And I, I think we've seen the flashes and the numbers maybe haven't been there as, you know, as much as we'd like them to be. But I also think a lot of his numbers last year were skewed by injury. Um, you know, I think he ended up shooting like 32 or 33% last year or something like that um, from three. But if you take out the last you know few games that he was playing hurt and then the games he was actually injured for, he shot more like 38 or 39%, which I think is a more accurate number based on, you know, the huge volume that we saw in college with him. And I've walked away from this preseason asking, you know, how big of a drop off is there between Malik Beasley and Jalen Noel? And the answer is, you could play him in the same role as as Beasley almost, or you could play him more at the one. You know, if there's going to be situations where Pat Bev is going to miss some games, um, you know, D'Lo is obviously inevitably going to miss some games. Um, But two, if if you put if you put Jalen Noel out there, uh, you know, beside. D'Angelo Russell, I think that would be a really interesting thing to do for stretches of games if you need offense and Malik Beasley just doesn't have it. Um, I, I per, you know, I, I love Malik on the floor, on the offensive side. I think he's really made an effort to improve his playmaking, which I've noticed has been huge. But, you know, Noel, I, I think that you could make an argument that Noel is so much better defensively than Beasley is that the drop-off you know, from Beasley to Noel on the offensive side is almost somewhat offset by how much better Noel is defensively than Beasley. Um, you know, I'm not saying that that Noel should be playing over Malik Beasley, but I'm just saying that, you know, maybe if, if you think that that drop-off isn't as big, maybe you try and focus pushing your chips in the middle on a Ben Simmons trade around you know, a package that can include someone like Malik Beasley. If you have someone kind of waiting in the wings that you think can be, uh, that you think can be an ample replacement um, and, and play up to that level. But, you know, in, in your mind, kind of, you know, how, how big of a drop off do you think there is? And, and, you know, what do you think it would take for, for Noel really to, to get consistent minutes in the rotation? Oh, I'm so torn on Noel. Um, to answer the first part, I think the drop-off come. I think that, or the comparison to me comes that because Noel, you can run your offense through. And I say that in terms of you can right. give him the ball and let him go to work. You're not going to run a really good offense with Noel as your number one option. But like Beasley, I don't want that. I don't want bench lineups with Beasley having to be the shot creator. It's not something that he does well and he forces it when he has to do it. Noel is a shot creator. He said it himself before that he's not a spot-up shooter. That's not really his role, and it never has been his role. Um, and I and he, he, when you watch him, he's clearly a guy who wants to have the ball in his hand and who can make shots in the mid-range, who can get open looks from three, who can get to the rim. Uh, Beasley's not that. Beasley is a, is a gunner, no pun intended. Um, but he, he is a shooter. I think that you can play lineups with both of them. I think it's tough because he's not a point guard, Noel. You look at that game against Brooklyn and I was watching him pretty specifically and I reckon he missed four or five reads that that were really pretty basic point guard reads that would have led to buckets. Um, 
and that's fine because he's not a point guard and he's a he's a scorer but like you have to do something you have to play someone a little funky or a little out of position if you want to get both of those guys minutes because to me they're pretty much facsimiles of each other um in terms of role not really in terms of game style but in terms of role six foot four shooting guard going to take up a fairly large chunk of usage um I think you could, yeah, I think you'd get away with playing both of them together with maybe like, you know, Jaden, Vando, and Nas. I think like, but is Finch trying to do that? Because I think Finch likes McLaughlin more than Noel. I think Noel is twelfth in the in the pecking order right now, and and to me that means two injuries to guards or one injury to a wing. Who do you who do you have eleven? Uh, McLaughlin. I think that in Finch, Chris Finch in Chris Finch's mind, I think definitely McLaughlin is the 11th guy. You look at those first two preseason games, I know that the preseason rotations are really wonky, but McLaughlin was pretty much in the rotation. Like, it was like 11 guys were playing the first half and then Noel was coming in late. Because that was going to be my question, is that, you know, if McLaughlin is going to be playing, you know, point guard three minutes, where, you know, he might play eight, ten minutes a game because you want to have stretches where, Pat Bev can play out there with D'Lo, or at least and you don't want to overplay Pat Bev guard. either. Yeah, I, I think that you could make an argument that having Noel playing instead of McLaughlin in certain contexts would make more sense, and I think that that's mm-hmm. the way that he gets onto the floor because I think Noel is at his best when he has the ball in his hands and he can you know, get ball screens and score out of ball screen actions, not necessarily play make out of ball screen actions. Because if he were to play the point guard, he would absolutely be a scoring point guard as opposed to, you know, one of a yeah. playmaking guard. And and the other thing with that too is that, you know, I think there's certain situations where um, you know, it, it might just help to have a guy out there that's six th- six four as opposed to a guy that's five eleven or six foot. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's going to be really interesting to see if Finch kind of takes that situational approach to the starting lineup and applies that to the way that he wants to utilize the end of his bench. Because I think he will. I think you could make an argument that you could give Ant point guard minutes if you wanted, you know, if you're playing a bigger team and wanted to play somebody like Jake Lehman even for stretches of time, which I think would be fine because if there's any guy at the end of the bench that I trust to come in and just you know, bust his ass for two, three minutes cold off the bench, be Jake Lehman. I mean, we saw that a lot last year, I'll, you know, be it in garbage time. But I mean, all those guys that are at the end of the bench playing in garbage time, you know, are, are fighting for minutes. We saw it with Jaden McDaniels last year. He was awesome in garbage time at the start of the year. Yeah. And that was the way that he worked into the rotation. So I, I think that that's one of the bigger questions that I have. I mean, not just Noel, but just the end of the bench and kind of how that a, 10, 11, 12 guy thing gets worked out because I think the Timberwolves are going to have a 10 or 11 man rotation. And that I might- think they are I think they are as well, but I and and part of me leans to just as much as I want both of those guys to get minutes, McLaughlin and Noel, I think part of me as well just leans to like play and in, in their minutes that you want to play Pat Bev and uh D'Lo play Ant as the backup point guard and just play 10 men because I just feel like I've never been a fan of big 
rotations. I think it sometimes can get a little bit messy when there's too many guys in and out. Totally um, agree. But the reason that they want to do it is because McLaughlin and Noel are both NBA players, man. Like, I don't know if Nathan Knight's an NBA player. I don't know if Jake Lehman should be in an NBA rotation consistently, but I, I'm pretty sure that Noel and McLaughlin could go to 15 other teams and get 15 minutes a night. And I'm sure that Chris Finch sees that as well. And and like you said, I think it's it's it has to be situational because if there's times where your bench can't get, get it going and you can't play three or four bench guys at the same time and, and score enough, which I think is a possibility because the Timberwolves bench is kind of geared towards chaos and defense and, and running in transition, but not really half-court offense. I don't know if I want McLaughlin out there being the the at the helm of that. I, I'm pretty sure I would like Noel out there, like just for a five minute stretch, and just say, "Look, like go and get a bucket, go and get two, three, four buckets," um, because Vando and Pat Bev and Jade McDaniel's and Nas Reed, they're going to hold it down at least semi decently defensively. But we don't know if any of these guys can go get a bucket. We know that Nas probably can. You and Nas run pick and roll for three minutes, you know, shoot a couple of mid-range jumpers, get get into a rhythm. And if you're not, like, if you don't get into that rhythm, you know, you're probably going to come out quick and we'll just have to play Anthony Edwards three more minutes in this game. But maybe maybe Noel gets you through five-minute stretches in 30 games for the season. And yeah, that's, probably a good, that's probably a win. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the way that the Timberwolves can utilize the depth that they have, because I, like you said, you said Noel and McLaughlin are NBA players that can be in an NBA rotation. Like, I, it, it's, I mean, I was texting some people about this over the course of the last week that, you know, we really haven't had that as Wolves fans, looking mm-hmm. at a rotation that's legitimately, you could have any of 12 guys in rotation on a consistent basis and still win a good amount of games. Um, it's just a matter of can they use that depth to kind of junk up two, three, four minutes here and there and be willing to do that and trust guys to do that cold off the bench, especially if, you know, it comes at a somewhat critical juncture. I think a lot of times games can be decided in the kind of four to five minute stretch from maybe two minutes left in the third quarter to maybe the the nine-minute mark of the fourth quarter when starters generally kind of start to trickle back in on the floor. You see a lot of teams during that time kind of try and junk up the game if they're behind or throw a different look at a, at a defense if they need a spark uh, or, or throw a different defense if an offense is kind of cooking. And, and I think the Timberwolves have the tools to be able to do some stuff like that. And I, and I think that, you know, hearing Finch speak about his thought process about that. If we see the Timberwolves in some of those situations early in the season, will be really telling. Um, and then too, I mean, you also think about, would it be better to try and consolidate as much of that depth as you can into a, a Ben Simmons trade? Um, because the Timberwolves are still pretty uniquely positioned to, to put together a, a somewhat decent offer uh, and make it work financially, especially in a three team deal. If you want to get another asset, um, but, but Hey, I mean, I, I want to see this team roll how it is right now. And I'm pretty over the Ben Simmons stuff, man. Like I, want, I, I hope that he ends up on the Timberwolves somewhat. I, I've been put off a little bit with some of the theatrics that he's been 
throwing out there recently and, and the, the, the diva kind of attitude that he's had towards Philly, but I definitely would still be excited if he ended up on the Timberwolves roster, but I'm so fucking sick of it, man. Like, I just want to see really this team play. I'm excited to see this team play because right. I think it's a really interesting experiment that they have at their hands, and it's going to be really interesting to see just how individual players are going to be able to grow because that'll determine ultimately – you know how far this team is really able to go. I mean, if well, not, they're, Reed... they're not getting Malik Beasley, and they're not getting Ben Simmons and Malik Beasley and Jade McDaniel's hit four three pointers for the season. Like they look like they're gonna at the moment. Hey, Jaden shot the Jaden shot the hell out of the ball in that last preseason game out of the corners. Yeah, um, yeah. that they'll be all right. Jaden's looked bad, man, offensively. But again, like I just don't know what I can read into preseason, especially hey, for sophomores. Hey, we all because watched, we all watched summer league. Okay, I think he's <laughs> going to be just fine. All right. Yeah, I mean, I wonder too. I mean, I I don't know if it's a coincidence if those are the two guys that are being talked about the most in trades, if that's affecting them at all. Um, you know, we haven't really heard any leaks on the on the Timberwolves players that have been involved in those talks. But I mean, obviously yeah. for those two guys, you probably understand the business aspect of it. Um, so I wonder, you know, if, if the noises and the rumblings kind of get quieter, um, you know, within the wolves, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them play a little bit better. Um, and, and also too, I mean, uh, th- those guys' roles are going to be different over the course of an entire season. When you work back that full big three, because Malik Beasley has played, one game yeah. with the full big three or one and a half, which were those first, you know, before Cat got hurt by or Rudy Gobert injured Cat on that dirty ass play in Utah. Um, but, but yeah, man, I, I, you know, Malik is going to be really interesting because if Malik is able to, is able to play like he did, um, you know, when Cat was out and really still shoot the ball well and be able to pro- provide really consistent, solid ancillary scoring. I just don't know. I just don't know how you can keep the Timberwolves down offensively enough to a point where your offense is going to be able to outscore them when they get going. And I think they just have enough pieces, and they have a really smart coach to to at least help one guy get going. And you can run your offense through any of those top three guys, and and I think it's just going to be really interesting to see how that pecking order plays out. And, and where Beasley falls in it, especially because he was really high in it last year uh, out of necessity. And now that there may not be that necessity, I think it'll be really interesting to see how some of those role players respond and kind of getting back to, you know, the initial thing that we were talking about, if the back end of the bench kind of starts to, you know, creep up towards the middle of the bench, uh, you know, based on, on how some of those, you know, ancillary guys play early on in the season. I want them. I want them to have pressure. I want Beasley to have pressure from Noel. I want, you know, Pat Bev to have to feel like if he doesn't do all those leadership and defensive things that we know he can, that that Jordan McLaughlin might start eating into his minutes a little bit. Like I want D'Lo to feel like that as well. That Pat Bev might start eating into his minutes if he doesn't try on defense. Uh, I think that's a good thing. The the. The polarizing thing for me with going back to Beasley is that I think offensively he's a lot better when he plays with the starters, and I don't think he should be a starter. 
if that makes sense. I think that he yep, is a better player when he's a better he like he forces more shots when he's the number one option in a bench unit. I want I I want him to be a fourth option that is used as like a release valve shooter, a transition runner, a guy who can just go and get himself open and other guys can make plays for him. When he starts making plays, things aren't good. I, uh, I think we're going to see D'Lo and or Ant play a significant amount of minutes with Beasley. Yeah, I think it should be D'Lo especially because him and D'Lo yep. play really well together and they've already got those. I, I know Ant was there as well, but like Ant was kind of off the bench and stuff. But D'Lo had those, whatever it was, 30 games together last yeah, season just, at the start. But just somebody that can have the ball in their hands, that can kick out and create shots for him or somebody that he can play off, a dynamic player that he yeah. can play off of, I think. And Ant and, and can, can, can collapse the defense as well, which D'Lo doesn't do as much. So And Ant has always been a good uh, kick-out passer. I think he's had that in his bag since day one, and he's only got better at it. Yeah, and the other thing too is that I think Cat has really made a point of trying to attack defenses in specific ways so that the backside of the defense collapses and he can kick out to shooters either in the slot or in the backside corner. And in this last preseason game, I think he cre- I think Torian Prince, I want to say shot seven threes, and I think Cat created either five, four or five of them. And I think, too, he could do the same thing with Malik Beasley. I think Cat could walk into a possession knowing, like, okay, if I get a seem to drive here. I'm going to drive. I know how the defense is going to react to me, and I have a feeling that whoever's back there is going to be open, whether that's Beasley or Prince or whomever. So, I, again, I mean, it could, like you said, I mean, just any of the starters, whatever kind of, you know, mixed bag that you have between starters and bench guys, there's got to be one of those three that are playing out there with Beasley, I think, at any yeah. given moment. Because no all, be- no all bench lineups. I don't want to see it for one fucking second. No, I mean... We saw it in the preseason. It just it really struggled to generate points. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of created that adversity that the starters needed, uh, that kind of kick in the ass so they couldn't play slow in that third quarter or early in that fourth quarter when, they, when they'd come back in. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we're going to see a lot more mixing and a lot less platoon swapping, especially at Beasley. But... Um, but what do you think of uh, what do you think of Bull Marrow? I know that uh, that you you are a resident Bull Marrow whisperer, um, and I'm just curious, kind of, what you saw from him, what you liked, um, and what you think the plan for him should be, um, you know, over the next few months. I had a I had a line in in my last uh, player ratings on on houseanddrows.substack.com, shameless plug, um, that was that. I feel like kind of sums up the whole Balmaro experience for me so far in the preseason and is that he's like a deer in the headlights that then jumps through your fucking windshield and kicks you in the face. Like, he looks scared and nervous and doesn't know what to do and then all of a sudden he throws like a live dribble touch pass around the back dime uh, or he, you know, gets to the ring and hits a layup in clutch time. I don't... Like this is what he's always this is what he's always done. This is what he did in Spain as well, where he he looks young and he looks inexperienced and he looks not strong enough to be out there. And then he just decides that like he's gonna blow your mind for a second. Um and that's what I've seen through the preseason. I thought I think he's looked a little bit more comfortable on the ball than I thought maybe he would. Uh I've long said or offensively. Offensively. Uh defensively he's good, man. I, I'm I'm I don't even need to dive you know to kind of 
cement my stance too much because like he will be good as an on-ball defender and I will stick by that until he's not in the league anymore because he's really, really good as a point of attack guy or just as a... Yeah, mainly on ball. He's been beaten backdoor a few times, which happened in Spain. It happened in the Olympics. It it's his biggest problem defensively is it he shades too far towards the ball because he's really ball focused. Um, but offensively, I've been kind of maybe on the wrong side of of consensus on this. That I I think he's a point guard. I don't think he's a big wing. I don't think that he. I think he's the at his best when he has the ball in his hands. Playmaking uh, brothers. I, yeah, when he's playmaking for, I know that he can do that as kind of a second side pick and roll guy, but he doesn't. I don't trust his shot yet. And when you can't shoot and no one respects your shot, it makes secondary playmaking a lot harder than than it can be if you're just a guy who who has the ball in his hands. And he's always been a point guard, even in Spain when he was playing backup minutes to to guys who had been in the NBA, and he was you know in, in a league that's smaller in size and, and less athletic than the NBA where, where maybe it would make more sense to play him as a two or a three. He still played the one all the time. Um, and that takes time. Young point guards take time is kind of what I'm getting at there is if you believe him to be a point guard like I do, then he he's going to take a little bit longer to develop than if, if he was just an off-ball wing uh, or a secondary playmaking wing. So I've been impressed with some things that he did and also not very surprised that he looks like he needs some time. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely, you know, I think I I texted you um, a question just in all the game, in all the film that you watched at Bulmero because you had access to way more of it than I did. Um, Just if you notice that his shot looked a lot more fluid off the dribble than it did spotting up, because that was something that, that has stood out to me, even in, in really small sample size of preseason games. Um, he just looks so much more confident when he's got the ball in his hands. Um, and that goes into the, what I was saying that I just think yeah. that he needs the ball to be good. And that's, uh, that's a problem because you can't give him the ball. Like you can't play him 20 minutes a night and give him the ball. Like that's why he won't even be in the rotation because he needs time to be good enough to have the the on ball equity that he probably needs to to be his best self. Right, and and the thing that I noticed was that he wasn't super active when he didn't have the ball in his hands. You know, he he's constantly kind of moving around and kind of has that positive kinetic energy because that's kind of how it is in in Europe. You don't you can't just stand in one spot. You constantly have to keep moving because all of the actions over there are so detailed and there's, there's so many intricacies of it that they require you to move and cut and this and that, um, that you can tell that in, in more of a, you know, isolation heavy pick and roll, other three guys aren't moving as much type of offense that we have in the NBA that he just isn't used to that yet. And I think that with Bolmero, you know, I, I, I tend to agree more with you that he's a point guard or at least that all of his best skills are generally the best a point guard's best skills, if that makes sense, in terms of his vision and his passing accuracy uh, and the way that he's able to pass guys open. I, I don't know that secondary wing creators are successful if that's what their skill set is necessarily. Um, 
But but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really tough because you're in this place with Bolmero where you really want him to be around NBA caliber players in mm-hmm. practice to be able to learn from them. But you really also want him to have a ton of reps. And obviously, practice isn't a game. And he's kind of one of those in-between players where I feel like if he went to the G League, his playmaking and defense would just be so advanced to the point where you're not going to regress, but like you're maybe not getting quite as much out of it. And I think the the aspect that I think would be interesting for him to go to the G League in is to really work on, you know, spot up shooting if he's playing alongside an Isaiah Miller or a McKinley Wright, two guys that can collapse the defense and can kind of help him work on that that spot up shooting game or, or cutting off the ball in more of a read and react system. Um so it's just kind of this pros and cons and you got to weigh it. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what the Wolves do um, because I don't think it's going to be a Jaden McDaniel situation where we anticipate him being in Iowa for, for the full season or being a go-to guy in Iowa and then just being a garbage time hero and working his way into the rotation. I, I just, you know, Jaden McDaniels was so uniquely and, and rarely skilled for a guy where he was drafted, where it made sense kind of when it happened. Um, but, but yeah, Bolmero is going to be just an interesting case in terms of the Wolves kind of giving us some insight into where their heads are at based on how we proceed over the next, you know, two, 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 three weeks. Cause do you know when the G league season starts? No idea. No idea. He should, I'll be honest with you. He should have stayed in Spain. He should have done. He should have done one more year in Spain, I think, because that's that would have given him what he. Need. I know that he needed to, and I'm sure he wanted to get over here and get up to speed with with really super high level NBA athletes, which he will still get in the G League. Um, Starts November fifth, by the way. Oh yeah, so so about what three weeks, um, yep. and like, but I just think that he would have he would have got more minutes against better players, like better actual basketball players in Spain, I think. Like, I don't know if that's me being an international homer, but I think the Spanish league's better than the G League. I don't think it's as as athletic, which maybe he needs to to learn get to play against guys who can... Or yeah, I was going to say the differences in the game. Yeah, like, he, like yeah. I think that's why he gets caught overshading and gets done backdoor so much, because he could get away with that against a slower six foot three white dude you know what i mean like now it's the most athletic a lot of the paint too yeah yeah and there's no spacing man like there's no they don't they don't shoot like they do in the states so like now he's playing against athletic guys who if you shade back door and if you shade up top too far if you want to top lock guys like you're gonna get backdoored to death and he he got backdoored against brooklyn three times i think in about six minutes and like that's not gonna work in, but that and maybe that's why he needs G League, but yeah, I I think it's a really good point that you make that playing with Miller, playing with McKinley Wright will force him to be a little bit of both because maybe the the option here is that he is a point guard, but we need to kind of turn him into a combo guard. We need to get him better at shooting and better at moving off the ball because that's his best uh, path to to NBA minutes. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, and even if he isn't, you know, a great spot up shooter, I still think there's a lot of value that the Wolves could get out of him as a guy that just is really heady off the ball because his vision and awareness on the floor is awesome. And I think he can see things develop before, 
you know, even guys who are in NBA rotations can. And when you have that, you can kind of, you know, show a guy the speed of the game and how he can cut and impact the game that way too. You know, really strong playmaking, movement off the ball, and and really high level defense. I think is a is a good foundational skill set of a player that can be useful for a long time, even if you aren't you know the best shooter. I, I still think McDan or I still think Bull Merrill can be a guy that you know can shoot thirty three percent from three like enough to a point. Yeah, where Yeah, I don't think it's completely broken. I you know I don't think it is either. Like I I don't think it's a Jarrett Culver situation. I no. I I think it's probably maybe a little bit better than a Josh Okogi situation right now. Where, you know, I mean, in the situation with Josh is like, yes, objectively, he's a poor three-point shooter based on his averages. But based on his form, the way he shoots it, it doesn't look broken. And defenses still, in some aspects, respect that shot and enough to a point where he can attack closeouts. And I think Bulmero could be a guy that, if he gets to a point where he can attack closeouts, it's curtains for for defenses because he's gonna he's gonna pass somebody open or if there's even the slightest of a window that he can fit the ball through he's gonna try and do it and more often than not he's probably gonna be successful because he's so fun to watch when when he's got the ball in his hand he's so crafty and creative so you know would you send him to the G League if you were the Wolves yeah yeah I'd send him to I I think that he I, like I think it's a perfect conundrum that you brought up before that you want him practicing with all the best players all the time versus getting him reps all the time. And I lean towards reps, I think. That just get him reps and and figure them. And if he goes to the G League and he seems like he's got enough reps where you're comfortable with it, then you can move him up and, and hope that he kind of progresses from there. But I think first and foremost, he needs consistent reps in whatever role you plan on on him being in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, and the other, I mean, really the last question too that I have is how much of a factor do you think Prigioni will be in whether or not he stays or goes? Because every time we see or we see Bomero in practice or see clips of him or before or after games, he's always with Prigioni. And like if he went to Iowa, he wouldn't have that. And I don't know mm -hmm. if they have the infrastructure in place down there with someone who speaks Spanish. I mean, obviously they could they could hire someone and get someone down there, but. Like I think that's an interesting element of the whole thing as well. That's a really good point. That's something I hadn't thought of at all, and probably something that's really important. I don't think you want to just completely lob him into the deep end of of American culture and kind of just say like, "Look, we do have this guy that that can help you through it and that can speak your language, but like now you're not allowed to see him. Or not not allowed to see him, but you know now you're not going to work with him every day. You're going to work with all these guys who." Who you don't you can't really understand and and he speaks really good English for someone who's been speaking English for one year. It blows my mind when anyone can speak a second language. But like this I agree. is I agree. this is Completely. jargon, you know, like this is basketball jargon. It's it's you know play calls quick, like yelling at you. You know, you need yeah. to really understand. And, and Prigioni can at least translate some of that for him and so yeah. could Rosas but now he's I, not there. I was I was just gonna say so when I was at the introductory press conference in person um you know a month ago whatever that was is you could you could tell that reporters were trying very hard to dumb down the language as much as they could or use very basic language uh ask direct questions that were short and to the point um and Bolmero Bul was pretty honest if he needed help from Rosas, and yeah. Rosas would translate it for him. 
but you could tell he really tried and really like felt confident and but he also knew where he was at and i think that that's important too is that you know you don't want to you don't kind of want to get your you know shoulders out in front of your skis where you know you think you can do something and then you're like oh wait shit i cannot do that you know it's yeah. kind of like and that's one way to really the, that's the one way to really derail like your experience immediately is just to feel yeah. so lost in a foreign country uh and that's what he and another thing that maybe will play into it is that the team looked like they fucking love him man i know that was awesome like, I he, that. he is like a little brother on the team and maybe they think for for now you've got Prigioni, you've got this bunch of big brothers who are really willing to help you and kind of support you along the way Maybe, especially if it's a normal G League season, which I think it is, that's just, you know, you can kind of oscillate between the G League and the and the, the main team as much as a team wants to, to do it or whatever the rules were pre-pandemic. Yeah, Maybe so- you just say, look, for two to three months, like let's say until January, you might not play many minutes, but you're going to practice with a big team. You're going to get three more months to to learn English and to, to get ingratiated in the American culture. And then you don't go down to the G League and, and we expect you to be more in tune with what, what we want to see from you. We expect you to be able to communicate better with your, with your peers and we expect you to play really well and kind of vault yourself into a, into a second season that maybe you can start getting actual NBA minutes in. Yeah, so I'm look. I'm reading this right now. So there's an expanded showcase cup to start the season. So it's a 14 game tournament starting on November 5th with all, you know, all teams in the G League. Um, so the teams will be split into four regional groups and play 12 intra-group games in their home markets. The top four teams with the winning percentages from each group, along with the next best four teams, so eight total teams, will advance to single elimination tournament. Um, to determine the rec- the winner of the Showcase Cup. The champions will receive a trophy and monetary prize to be split among the players. Following the Showcase Cup, team records will be reset and the 36-game regular season will tip off Monday, December 27th. Well, that's the- perfect. So Maybe you're getting him, more send games. Send him there for that. Send, send him there after the Cup for the, for the regular season and give him to December to ingratiate himself with the actual team and then kind of, and then trickle him down to the G league. That's what I would do. Yeah. Or something like that where he can at least practice and kind of feel much better. Cause I agree now that we've kind of talked through it, that I think sending him down to Iowa right away would be tough just from like a, just a, culture a lifestyle shock, perspective, you know, it's just a huge culture shock to do that to someone, you know, that, that clearly is already experienced a little experiencing a little bit of culture shock. I think, um, yeah, yeah, and, sure. that, and that works well. That works well that you kind of you don't miss season. You don't have to throw him into a team that's kind of halfway through a season. Like let them play the cup. McKinley Wright gets MVP, scores thirty five in the in the in the final game, <laughs> and then and then send Volmaro down to take the the mantle off him after that. Yeah, man, I, he's just an interesting case that I think the way that the way that his situation gets handled this year will be just kind of an interesting you know, background storyline to follow um, if if things go south with the actual Wolves. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, he, he's just a guy that, you know, if he becomes a fully optimized version of what people think he can be, um, he'll be a really, really impactful player moving forward on a, on a rookie contract, um, which is great. 
And, you know, I, I, I agree with you that, that maybe one more year in Europe would have made sense. Um, but if he also, but if he also like really plays well in this kind of new system, getting acclimated to it and he's ready to play next year right away and be in the rotation, I think that that would be be pretty massive. I think it's, it's definitely a, a person specific thing to whether staying in Europe or getting a year in the system, even if you don't play, uh, kind of which one works better. So I think that he obviously chose to come to the NBA as well. It wasn't just the team saying, look, we want you now. Like he w- he had a contract signed that he would have to agree to to break with Barcelona. So if he was happy to do it, I think that's probably the first step in, in it succeeding. Um, I've kept you for a while, but before we get out of here, just quickly, Carl Anthony Towns is going to have a very good season. That's all I have to say about that. We all know who Cat is. We all know that you know the the discussion around Cat for the entire off season. He's he's going to average twenty eight, twelve, and eight, and no one in the world. Like he's going to be cooler than you, and shoot a basketball better than you, and score the ball better than everyone, and and we just have to accept it because I I genuinely think he's going to have an awesome season. He looks so gonna, good right now. I think he's going to have an awesome season in large part because. I wasn't really anticipating Cat slimming down the way that he did. Um, I thought he'd try and bulk up. Like I know he's muscled up, but I thought he would even try and maybe. I didn't think he was whatever he said he was, 270 or something. Like I thought he'd try and get bigger, but he looks better slim. Yeah, especially looks, in the system they're playing. Because the floor is so spread out that and I mean he's just he's got such a quick release shooting the ball that you know, all these big guys are going to step out to him. And if they're going to step out to him, I think he's going to shoot way less threes and just be pumping and going and, you know, attacking the basket, which which is great because I think he'd get to the foul line a lot more. And I think he'd, you know, create a lot of really easy opportunities for himself. And I think we saw that really. He really tried to attack Zubach, um, which I thought was great oh. in that Clippers game. Um, but then at the same time, too, the, the one thing that I will say that worries me is that if he's pumping and going more and driving to the basket, I, I don't know that Cat knows how to fall correctly. Um, no, he definitely, he definitely and that doesn't. Worries, and, and that worries me a little bit. Um, but, but to be positive, but to be positive I, I think, too, that it, when he pumps and goes, he, he, like I had said earlier with all these different passing angles that he's, he's showcased, that I think if he's able to do that, uh, consistently and get guys a bunch of open shots, that'll be huge. Like, I would be totally cool if Cat averaged, like, 23, 12, and 7, as opposed to, like, 27, 12, and 3, or 4. Yeah, yeah, you know for sure. I mean? Like, if he, he, if he, doesn't, get, if he going, doesn't get, like, 10 triple-doubles this season, it's because of his teammates. It's I because of guys not hitting shot. Because he's passing, it's always been above average for a big man. The last two seasons, or the last season and the preseason, it has gone to another level. It's right, in my opinion, it's right underneath, like not right underneath, but it's underneath Jokic only uh, for bigs. Like some of the passes he threw in that Brooklyn game, I don't think any of them ended up as assists. He threw one where he drove baseline and whipped it to the to like, the slot. Un, yeah, underneath the his like, right kind of up and up. Yeah, like that is bonkers, man. He, he and. He looks more under control with the passes. He looked, in general, preseason, you know, caveat that it's four games or whatever, but he looks like everything is 
slower for him and he everything already seemed easy for him but everything just seems like it's just like simple he knows what he can do he knows when he can get it his jump hook looks back he's jump hooking with his left hand now which we didn't see for so long last season after he hurt his wrist like he, i don't know if he shot a left hand jump hook all fucking season like everything looks to be falling into place offensively and and he's been really solid defensively I haven't had yeah. any issues with him defensively. Either. And that, that's the other thing too, is that, you know, I think Cat is much, a much better defender when he's deterring passes as opposed to deterring shots. And I think in that Brooklyn game, especially in that third quarter, when the Wolves really started to kind of get on that run, I think a lot of it had to do with, with him being start with, with him kind of setting the tone on defense and getting in passing lanes and, and deflecting a lot of pass. I think he probably had, I think he had three steals in the game maybe. And I think two yeah, of them came did. in that third quarter where, um, you know, guys were trying to fit passes in when they drove on him, and it, he made it really, really tough. And then if they did try and shoot over him, he was straight up. And I think if he can, if he can do more of that, you know, I, I think that the Wolves' defense then you legit start looking at your team being in that you know thirteen to seventeen range as opposed to the seventeen to twenty three range. If that makes sense. Yeah. If he's anything above average defensively, I, I think the floor of this team rises considerably. Um, you know, and that's a, the same with Ant as well. If those two yeah. take leaps, like yeah. this team's good. And I think if you're listening to this, you've probably seen uh, Dane Moore had that breakdown on on Twitter about the defense the other day. Uh, that's that's something I think that you should like that that it needs to be hammered home with Cat. Um, that there's times in this defense where, like, he's going to be exposed by rim runners. That's kind of how the defense works. That if everyone's not on the same page, rim runners and corner shooters are going to be the guys who profit off it the most. And I think that more than ever, that is less of Cat's fault than it has been in the drop scheme. Yep. Um, he, I will. He's I, up. Go ahead. Go. Oh, I was just going to say he's up at the ball. He needs to do. He needs to be able to show and recover. He, the role man's not no longer his his duty to to dispense of. But there's times where, especially great passes, Luca, Harden, you know, Trey, LeBron, those guys can absolutely pick apart hedging schemes or you know the big up to the upper the level. That's yeah. just how it works. That's that is the the risk you take, and you can stop that. There's things you can do to kind of negate those great passes, but guys who can hit passes through those little tiny gaps between Cat and D'Lo, and or also skip pass to the corner when the low man has come to help on the roller, like, they're going to score from that. That's just how it works, and that's something that Chris Finch knows, and that's something that just is going to happen. But I think Cat has less responsibility this season and that's just a really good thing because the more responsibility you give him on defense, the more he tries to do, the worse he gets. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I don't think... And giving him less responsibility isn't saying like, oh, we can't blame Cat anymore if something goes wrong. If something goes wrong and it's Cat's fault, like, we can talk about it. But now it's not just like, oh, that's all right. Jeff Teed couldn't go out the pick and roll. <laughs> now it's like, it's all right. Cat will save us. Like, Cat can't save you. But Cat yeah. can be a part of a, of a group that does okay. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I tweeted out during the game that I think, especially 
the bench will get killed by rim running second bit like secondary yeah. bigs. So Nas like doesn't look very good in the in the new team. He looks like he really needs a bit of time to get used to but it. But he also admitted that he has always played drop. Like his right. whole life he's played drop. So so I think that that's you know, understandable that he'll take some time with that. And and I think you'll see Jared Vanderbilt play more with Nas as a result of that, uh, just because Vanderbilt can just kind of make shit happen out of nowhere on the defensive end. Um, but also, you know, I, I had a back and forth with, with Dane on this um, a little bit on Twitter where, you know, I think there will be a couple of games where the Wolves just get assaulted from the corner and they lose mm-hmm. by 20 points because teams are just you know, making corner three after corner three after corner three. But in the aggregate, you know, the Timberwolves laid out a red carpet to get into the lane when they played drop coverage, and it wasn't great. And I and I would much rather take a game or two against, like, the Clippers or the Hawks or, you know, the Nets or the Warriors or whomever it is that just peppers you and kills you from the corners. Um, because I think overall you're going to come out ahead when comparing the two defenses against each other, because in this hedging scheme or the at the level scheme, I think that you're going to see much, much less, uh, you know, just getting completely killed um, from a game to game basis. And I think that the Timberwolves have the personnel or excuse me, the personnel uh, to, to be a more at the level team and a switch heavy team. And, uh, and again, I, I think that, you know, we've, we've heard Alston Turner, uh, the, the Wolves' new defensive coordinator, say that you've got to be able to play to scheme or to play scheme to the personnel that you have. And if you're kind, constantly trying to force personnel that doesn't fit one scheme into playing that scheme, um, you're going to have problems. And I think that just on the basis alone that this team, as it is constructed, uh, better fits an at the level scheme, I think that the Timberwolves defense will be better because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also too, like you'd rather have a shot that's being taken from 23 feet away than a shot that is right at the rim. Right. That, and, yeah. and hopefully it keeps Cat out of foul trouble too. So that even if teams are making a bunch of corner threes, you're still giving yourself a chance because Cat's still in the game. Yeah. The, the, the previous team wanted to give the other team shots that we didn't want to take, which is pretty much just saying like, give them mid-range shots. But the problem is that they couldn't defend it well enough to stop those mid-range shots from becoming 10 feet closer to the hoop. Like, now it's like, we're just going to stop you from scoring at the rim and we're going to scramble to stop you from hitting threes and you're probably going to hit some, especially in the corners, because maybe that scramble is not going to be fast enough or your pass is going to be too good and and your offense is going to be too well executed to stop us. But whatever whatever you do... We're not going to let you have points in the paint. We're not going to give you a runway, like you said, to get points in the paint. And that is more important. That's why it's a better scheme. Because you can do that stuff with Joel Embiid. You can do it with Rudy Gobert. Because like, if you get that, if you get downhill, if you beat that point of attack defender in a drop scheme, you've got a massive human being that you have to go around to score. So two-on-one, it like- became a two-on-one situation almost. Every single time, yeah, it, felt it like. doesn't work that way in, with Cat. He's just moments. not, he's just not Gobert or Embiid. Like he's a guy. The thing he has over both of those guys is he can get up and move his feet, and he's athletic. He's not stuck to the ground, huge, wide, big man. So I can't believe it took this long. I'm still, you know, as much Kool Aid as we're drinking. Like, yeah, it could still be twentieth overall, but 
it's different. I, and it's, I could see a world and, in which it's 24th or 25th, honestly. Yeah, and I could see um, a world where it's 14th. Like, I agree. I, I think that I think that if you ran a simulation of the team's defense a thousand times, um, I think it would co- more times it would come out closer to like 17 than it would to 28 or 27. Yeah, well, that's it's got a ceiling. It's like it's got, it doesn't have a ceiling. It's got a high ceiling, whereas like the the drop scheme just had no ceiling. Like it was just like you're never gonna be good. Doing you're this. supposed to have a high floor playing a playing a drop scheme, but, but if that's, you're if you, terrible that's if you have drop, the personnel. <laughs> but if you're terrible in the drop, then you're just like inviting people into the lane. It's like free points. It's just it's a mess. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the bottom line, I think that this team defensively is going to be capable of uh, no, is going to be really capable of forcing a lot more turnovers than they did. Um, last year and and i think that you know at at minimum that helps you be at least a little bit better than you were this this past season and and i think that's what excites me the most is is this team has a lot of athletes and and it goes back to where we started with that transition offense and and the, the more ways that you can find to get into that transition offense i think the more efficient your offense is going to be and the better the team is going to be as a whole um so but I, w- I want to ask one one quick last thing. Um, I need a couple of quick official predictions from you um, about the Timberwolves season, um, so we can point back to this and um, and and make fun of each other for being drunk <laughs> off the Kool Aid uh, when things do inevitably uh, just get fucked up, fall apart when they when they come out and lose to Houston by thirty five in the game in game. Am one. I reverse jinxing myself? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's for for you to guess and me to know. But all right, what, what do you right, think the me. record will be? What do you think the record will be, and what do you think their their like end of the regular season seed ends up being? Uh thirty nine and forty three, and I think they're ninth. Okay, what do you think? I think that they're going to be like forty two or forty. 42 and 40 or 43 and 39. Oh yeah, you're setting yourself up now. For and I think I think they're going to be like eight, I think I think they're going to be the 8 seed. Honestly. And with and uh, this is probably an obvious question, but that would be a resounding success, right? Which is a little bit sad. I mean, I I is it crazy that I don't want to call it a resounding success? No, it shouldn't be. I mean, uh, being 8 team, shouldn't be a resounding this success. This team has in my opinion, I mean, I may be crazy for saying this, but in a vacuum, if you stripped away all the team names, all right, and all the history, like if you were, if you had just like a fantasy draft of all these players and um, and you had the Blazers, the Mavs, the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, the Kings, the Wolves, I think that you can make an argument that the Wolves are just as talented as any of those teams. Yeah. You know, you know, Cat and Ant, I think, are almost on par with Dame and CJ. I think that they are on par for sure with Luca and Kristaps, because I think Ant is a lot better than Kristaps is right now. And I think that I mean Luca is Luca. But Cat, I mean, is, you know, Luca's a top five player in the NBA, top seven player in the NBA. Cat's, Cat's a top 15, 17 guy in the NBA. 
you know, and then you, and then you look at all, and then from there on, it's just depth. And the Wolves have pretty good depth. And then you also throw in that the Wolves' third banana in D'Lo is better than the third banana for Memphis, Sacramento, uh, New Orleans, Memphis, or excuse me, uh, Dallas, and Portland. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could make an argument that Norm Powell is better than D'Lo, and I, you know, I'm not going to argue with that. But for sure, Dallas. I mean, who is Dallas's third banana going to be? Yeah, and for sure, like Memphis. Like honestly, that that's what I'm, I'm saying is that I, th- I, I, I don't think, a resounding I don't think the Clippers success. will be good. I don't think the Clippers will be good. I think Ooh, they'll be. I, I think the Clippers are. I think the Clippers are going to be good still. And we we differ a little bit on Paul George though. You're a Paul George guy. I'm. I yeah, I think I, Paul George is very good, but I don't know if he can. I don't. I don't know. I don't want to get into a Clippers discussion, but I think we've already yeah, been going no, for an hour I, and a half. But I think the resounding success would be being better than all of those teams I listed. So yeah, you'd probably eight. end up being the six seed. I think an eight seed um, is a successful season. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't want to get like caught up in hyperbolics, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but yeah, uh, that's kind of where I'm at. Does Cat make an All NBA team? If they're a top six seed, he does. If if not, he doesn't. Wow, okay. He should, but they just don't give it to guys who don't... like. And the problem is that the other three guys who we know who they are, and maybe you can throw Bam in there as well, like their teams are going to win 50 games, all of them. All right, so if, so if Utah... Utah will, like... be the, Utah will be the the first seed. You think? And that, yeah, and I think they'll be the first seed again. They were very good last season, and I don't think they got any worse or that any of the West really got that much better. And like that's... Do you know what I mean? Like, if Utah are a 1, That's 2, fair. or 3 seed, he's the only guy, like, it's going to be Embiid and Jokic going to be first and second. Like, you can't keep Gobert off it if they're, if they're the first seed. And no one will, even though Cat is better than him. Yeah, he is in a tough spot. Do you think Cat could get in as a 4? As a forward? Maybe. Because they, they changed the rules this year to some, I don't really pay that much attention to it, but they did change I'm the rules pull, a little bit. I'm just pulling it at this point. I, just, <laughs> I, I can't stand Rudy Gobert, man. It just, yeah. Does know, anyone, does anyone on the Timbers roster make any M- All-NBA, All-Star, All-Defense, you know? I think Cat will be an All-Star this year. I think um, he's probably an All-Star. He he would have been an All-Star last he season, stays probably. Healthy. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just so goddamn good. Um, and the coaches know, I, I vote think, him in every time because the yeah, coaches have to game no. plan against him. And the other thing is coaches understand context of every situation in the league, mm-hmm. whereas yeah. media members don't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think Ant's going to be a playoff, be a, you know, an, excuse me, an, an all-star this year. No, um, I don't say it. I, I just, That's tough. To not tell. because I don't think he can, but because I just, even if I, even if he is good or good enough, I just don't think he will get the respect of the mm-hmm. league because the league, that, that's a conversation for a later day. But, all right. <laughs> you are on the over still. So you're on yeah. the over 35 and a half. I'm also on the over 35 and a half. Um, yeah. I can't wait to be um, wrong because the team goes 47 <laughs> and 35. <laughs> Don't. We've already <laughs> pumped up their tires too much this episode, and then you've ended it with the team going 47 and 35. Come on. Yeah, but, um, you know, it's really going to suck when I walk into Target Center on Wednesday, sit down at my media seat, and um, then remember that Pat Bev is suspended for the game for... Shit, <laughs> he is too, Ball. isn't he? 
<laughs> at least they've got Houston. Houston's a banana skin, though. It honestly feels like a banana skin, Houston. It feels it's gonna like be they a fun-ass can... team. I think it's going to be one of those teams where, like, the record is not good, but they're going to be fun to watch. And feels day. like Shendoon is going to score thirty-five in an opening night win, and we're going to all just sink back into our holes. And I think the and... vibes are too. I think the vibes are too good. I wouldn't be surprised if that game is like almost sold out. Yeah, I I wouldn't be either. I think like, Anthony I, Edwards is selling tickets, man. Like, and I was hey, in that's... jam session, which was a fucking practice, and the whole entire lower bowl was sold out. It was crazy. Uh, but, all yeah. right, it was good to talk to you. It was. I'll let you go. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. I know we've rambled on for a good. This might be our longest episode ever, but it was a good one. I feel it was a good one. So preseason is out of the way. Wednesday night is regular season, Thursday afternoon for me, and I can't wait. We will we will get together, either me and Jack or Kyle or someone, uh, next maybe weekend. All three. Yeah, maybe all three. We'll get a little Canis party going, so um, please head over to Canis Hoopus and follow Jack's work. You know there's going to be some heat coming out now that the season is almost underway. Housandrowls.substack.com is where you'll find my stuff. Sign up to the newsletter. I've been pumping out content, man. So much content. So get over there. Sign up. Uh, follow the journey. And yeah, Jack, thank you. And I will see everyone next week.